This Athletic Podcast is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app. So you can bet on multiple scenarios and build your own bets with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favorite online sports betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple's App Store. It's for over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Welcome to this week's Zonal Marking podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ali Maxwell. This week's topic is Burnley and their manager, Sean Dyche. Burnley are enjoying their fourth consecutive season back in the Premier League. They're well clear of the relegation zone as we record, potentially, potentially making a late dash for the European spots. A big task from where they are now, but you never know. They're not a million miles away. With me to talk about Burnley and Sean Dyche, Andy Jones covers Burnley for The Athletic. How are you doing, Andy? Not too bad. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Michael Cox joins us, of course. And Michael, an interesting team for us to look at, I think. We've touched on many different managers with many different styles and many different squads at their disposal. And, and now we hit Sean Dyche and Burnley. Yeah, I find them really interesting. I think they're the kind of side that the Premier League needs. I think tactical variety is a really a good thing. I think over the last 10 years, we've seen kind of mid-table, bottom half sides tend to kind of almost replicate or try to replicate the style of football played at the top of the league. But Burnley are one of those sides who haven't really made, you know, unashamedly play their own way. And I think it's a really good thing that, you know, the, the technical sides like City and Liverpool, whoever else is challenging at the top, have to go to Burnley once a year, have to host Burnley once a year and, and sometimes have to change the style. They get tested in different ways and I think just seeing how teams react to the way that they play can be really interesting. As a tactical expert, how would you describe Burnley's tactics in, in general terms before we dig a little bit deeper into more specific scenarios and combinations? I mean, I was looking at the stats and the very basic stats tell the story. I mean, dribbles there bottom in the Premier League, pass completion rate bottom, possession second bottom, shot second bottom, but top for aerial battles one and intriguingly top for offsides one. So they're very good at holding a good defensive line. I mean, they're a little bit old school. I think they play more direct than most sides, but I think that, you know, we can tend to overlook the fact that even if you play long balls towards your strikers, there are tactical nuances, there are you know, specific things you need to be very good in terms of your organisation. And, and Daesh clearly, you know, you, there's lots of managers in the Football League who are trying to play direct football, but Daesh is, is you know, essentially at the top of the tree in terms of those guys. So, you know, I think he deserves a lot of credit for, for making Burnley a, a pretty stable force in the Premier League. Yeah, whatever people say about, about any different styles, certainly at the top end of the game, which is what we're talking about here, uh, there's nothing aimless. There's nothing that isn't meticulously planned and considered. Andy, you deal with Burnley day to day or, or plenty of times a week. How, how much does Sean Dyche talk tactics in the media? How, how does he explain or discuss Burnley's approach, their style of play? 
I think there's sort of a number of things that he, he talks about when he, when he sort of asked about it. And I mean, the main thing is he wants to, to take the game to the opposition. And and in a way, by doing that is is through sort of direct direct style um, because you are getting essentially getting the ball up the pitch as quickly as possible. I think he takes a little bit of a offence to the to the long ball, suggesting it's more long passes, which I try to refer to in my article more. Um, <laughs> Is that actually a thing? He, yeah, he, well, he's he, quite specific he, he about actually, the phrase "long pass" rather than "long ball." Well, he made the point of it um, recently against Southampton. The winning goal from Vidra, Jeff Hendricks sort of plays a long pass into him, um, and he sort of sort of made uh, jokingly, of course, made the point that people will see that as a long ball because it's Burnley but not necessarily be a long pass. I quite like that, you know. Teams. I think that's important um, sort of semantics. I, I'm fully behind <laughs> Dyche there. He, he, You know, he does get asked about it a lot, though, doesn't he? Does he get wound up at times, do you think, about how people perceive his style of play to be old school, potentially? I wouldn't necessarily say wound up. I think um, he, he sort of does, does well to explain it in terms of he, he's honest in, in what he says in, in terms of, you know, he admits they're not the best team in the league, they're not going to pass teams off the park so in a way they they have to win their way and they have to adapt the style that's that's best for them they're not going to have the most possession I asked them sort of before the Newcastle game because they're the teams with the two lowest possession in the league and and he sort of indicated that it's good to have a diversity of, of different styles in the league and and that's what makes the the Premier League interesting they did start the season with a few different approaches in some of those early games uh, is he is he still showing that sort of tactical flexibility or was that a case of seeing where we're at to start the campaign and, and settling on one major way of playing? It's a little bit of both really and it's opposition dependent. Uh, when, when they play the bigger teams who generally pass out from the back more, so recently sort of Arsenal, Leicester at home, um, you know they they've been on the front foot to try and press the ball as, as as quickly as possible, and that was that was seen right at the start of the season against Arsenal away. They didn't win the game, but they were very very good in it in terms of you know getting up the pitch and and causing Arsenal problems and forcing forcing turnovers high up the pitch. That's probably and it's not for me to set the narrative, but that's probably not always the narrative about about Burnley. Some people might expect them to, especially against the stronger teams in the league, sit deep, sit in a, a low block and try and sort of control their own final third. But not the case, you're saying, against Arsenal and that Leicester game as well. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's occasions, and as I sort of mentioned before, when, when Dice says they aren't the best team in the league, there is times when they have to defend because they're not going to have much of the ball and, and there are teams that will, against Manchester City, for example, will control the ball for large periods and, and you have to, to sit in and... And then try and break, but he doesn't want to defend. He doesn't. He doesn't want to sort of be that. He, I think that there's some perception that Burnley give the ball away and instantly retreat um, and and get into. Yes, they get into a shape, but it's it's a shape that's trying to win the ball back quickly, um, and it's not necessarily let's all run back to the 18 yard box mm. and see where we are. You've written before about how some of the long passes they are designed well firstly to try and cause problems with the physicality of the of the front players but also for reasons to do with pressing to do with well second balls in the opposition's final final third it's both a, a safety measure so that they are press resistant that they can't be caught out in Burnley's own third but also being in a position to potentially affect the opposition as well with their own press if they don't retain the ball yeah I mean Carl Anker Southampton's reporter he, he wrote recently about Southampton struggles against sort of physical long pass teams in in a four four two, and it was quite evident there because Southampton want to press, 
Um, but if you go over the top of them, then there's nothing to press effectively. And it, it is, it, it's something that I've, I've sort of picked up on recently in terms of it's not just necessarily... With, with Barnes and Wood, for example, when you've got those two up, you're looking to go more direct to them because they've got that physical ability to win the ball in the air and then you look to pick up the second balls in an, in the sort of centre of the pitch. But also, Burnley will look to go down the channels. Um, Chris Wood will run the channels. He's, he's not seen as someone who will stretch, stretch to play, but... He's, he's, I think he's topping quite comfortably in, in offsides in the Premier League, but that's because he's playing on the shoulder and he does have a turn of pace, um, which people, when you sort of look at him and if you don't watch him every week, you could sort of see why people might not necessarily think that. Um, so he's always looking to be on the shoulder and Jay Rodriguez has come in since Barnes was, was injured and, and has ran the channels. And it's not necessarily just pressing straight away as well, but it's also if, you, if you're playing the balls up the flanks and you've got Jay Rodriguez, for example, pressing, you know, high on on the centre half. Who's got to deal with the ball, and they put it out for a throw in instantly. Burnley are moving up the pitch, um, and they'll either have a throw themselves, or the opposition will have a throw in, but you know, deep inside their own half. So it allows everyone to move up, and and that's when Burnley are sort of at their best when they can condense the pitch. Michael, how would you say they look to create scoring opportunities, and and at their best, Burnley? What does that style? help them to achieve you know how are they hurting oppositions at their best well to go to another statistic i mean they're very highly dependent on attacking down the left they've got the biggest imbalance in the premier league in terms of 42% of attacks go down the the left flank compared to 31% down the right uh, if you look at the game against leicester recently when they won 2-1 the goals both came from two left wing crosses the first one from mcneil to me at the far post and Wood putting in a rebound. And the second one, a Charlie Taylor cross, poor clearance from Evans and uh, Westwood was on the edge of the box to blast at home. I mean, that was an extreme example where both goals came from that flank. But I think it's very obvious that they, they do look to that side whenever possible. And I'm sure we'll chat a little bit more about McNeil later on because he's, you know, someone who in a way almost operates outside the system. I think is just capable of things that maybe, uh, you know, individual moments of flair that others aren't. Yeah, fascinating player, someone I like a lot. I know Andy likes him a lot. We're going to go in-depth in a few minutes' time. Just on the flip side to what I asked Michael Andy, when it doesn't work for Burnley, and there have been a few games this season that have been a tough watch, uh, what is it specifically do you think that they struggle with at times? What have other teams been able to do to really restrict Burnley's game plan? I think one of one of the, the essential things is to sort of stop McNeil. Uh, he is, yeah, I call him the chief playmaker uh, recently, and statistically he is in terms of chances created, big chances created. But it, statistically, he's right up there in terms of at, at the top of the league as well um, in in XG from chances created, and also XG of assists. He's, he's right up the top, you know, among sort of the, the Man City players and the Liverpool players. So it is very impressive, and he sort of does fly under the radar a little bit. Um, the the other thing is also that disconnect between the front two and the, the forward and midfield. For Burnley, if they aren't winning second balls or at least aren't challenging and causing problems for the opposition, that's when they sort of tend to struggle because if they're picking up the, the balls, they can then, in the, in the middle of the park, they can then be effective and use it quickly and get it wide or Charlie Taylor will get on the overlap, for example. But if they're not picking up those balls, then it's a little bit difficult. Also, Towards the end, when when with Barnes and Wood before Barnes, and he was clearly hindered by his injury, and there's there's no sort of 
you can't cover that up. He was, you could say, you see, he wasn't quite where he used to be, um, and eventually they had to take him off the team. But the problem with sometimes in games is that if you were going long both to both of them, there wasn't sort of that link up in terms of they were both on the centre half, and then the ball would would drop. Whereas with Jay Rodriguez, who's come in and done excellently well, he can he can come in and, and drop into pockets as Chris Wood can as well. But it, with Barnes and, and Wood. Just before Barnes went out injured, it wasn't quite working, and Chris Wood's a big part as well in terms of when when Bailey are missing him. Vid has come in and done well recently, but they can lose that physical presence, and that was sort of evident against Newcastle. The the aerial battles weren't quite you know winnable because they they had smaller smaller players on the on the pitch. Should we be making more of Dwight McNeil, the the chief playmaker, as you say, a twenty year old player? through the youth system at Burnley, contributing, well, the main contributor to what is currently a, a, a mid-table Premier League team. There aren't many names. You, you can't pick out too many other of those players in the Premier League at the moment. And yet, I, I still feel like he's flying slightly under the radar. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, he made his 50th appearance, Premier League appearance against Newcastle, which with 20-year-old is, is very impressive. And it is odd because, and I sort of mentioned it in an article I wrote recently in terms of sort of his England chances. If he was playing for a top six team, he would be in the England squad, no doubt about it. And people would be talking about him constantly. Um, the issue is that he's not, so he's not spoken about as much. And Burnley aren't the most attacking team, mm. so I guess there is a tactical part to it. Like what percentage of the reason that he hasn't been seen in England squad yet? I'm not sure, but Michael. If you think about the way that England play, the way that, that Burnley play and McNeil's, um, I suppose, role in that team, there isn't an obvious fit in the current England setup. Although, if a player is good enough, then I'm sure you can always find a way. Yeah, and I think there's a, an interesting case to be made as well that there's not many teams in England, or one of them, who play with a kind of traditional left-footed wing around the left. And it's been interesting, I don't know how much this is reflected in 90-minute in games, but it's been interesting to see McNeil popping up a little bit more on the right and he showed his ability to come inside and shoot with his left foot. And that's kind of the thing that, A, both you know bigger clubs, if they're interested in him, would look at. But also Gareth Southgate. I mm. mean, I don't think England are going to play a player who just goes to the byline and crosses the ball. But if he's playing on the opposite flank and shooting, I think that brings you know something different to the equation. What I've noticed, um, and it's probably always been the idea for him to just come inside and, and play with that freedom. Definitely in sort of recent weeks, it, it's very evident that he... He's now taking responsibility on the pitch and he will come and offer for the ball. He'll come inside, drift into the middle of the park, go over to the right. Um, sometimes Dice will swap wings, usually when Robbie Brady's playing, to, to just sort of, which hasn't been much this season, to just change the dynamic up a little bit if Dwight's been a little bit quiet, maybe to move him to the right to try and get him involved a little bit more. But he does seem to have that freedom. And against Chelsea um, in January, they got beat 3-0, but... Dwight McNeil was excellent. He was he was a standout player on the pitch because no matter how you know difficult it was for Burnley, he was constantly trying to make things happen. It wasn't coming off necessarily for him. You could see him getting a little bit frustrated. But I think after the match, Dice just came out and was full of praise for him. And he's showing that that sort of maturity to his play already um, at only 20. And, and that comes with, with games and experience. I think the, one of the biggest issues formation-wise is you've got 
the four four two of Burnley, four three three of England. Um, I think for the under twenty ones earlier this season, he played left wing back and then played in central midfield. Ad Boothroyd does does often make some interesting uh, positional <laughs> calls for that England under twenty one team. Do you like beer? Do you like it free? How about free beer? As a valued listener of the Zonal Marking Podcast, we'd like to bestow upon you just that. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com, you have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from all across the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com forward slash zonal and cover the postage of just £4.95. And if that wasn't enough, as a listener of Zonal Marking, you'll get two extra free beers. So that's 10 beers total. Beer 52 are beer pioneers. They traverse the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the greatest small batch breweries that planet Earth has to offer. No surprise then that they're the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 delivers a case with a different theme. So far, the themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more, but they haven't forgotten their roots. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. As well as the best, most interesting beer that money can buy, your case will include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, which explains the theme and individual beers you'll receive, and a beery snack is thrown in, just to top it all off. Don't like dark beers? Don't worry. Choose the light plan easy. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash zonal to get your case free. And don't forget right now, our listeners get two extra free beers. I want to move on to another individual star of this Burnley team at the back end of the pitch is Nick Pope, Michael. The most clean sheets in the league. England's number one for the summer, potentially Nick Pope. Do you think there's white smoke coming out of the top of St George's Park at the moment? Uh, yeah, I mean, last week uh, we spoke about Pickford's struggles in a, in a range of areas. I, I think the problem with Pope is is Burnley's system in a way because if he goes to play for England, he'll be asked to play in a very different way. Um, I think as a traditional goalkeeper, he is unquestionably the best that England have. I think actually as a shot stopper, maybe one of the best in the Premier League. Um, and I don't doubt that he has the ability to to provide the distribution that Pickford, for example, does. But he just doesn't get the practice at it because Burnley are playing a completely different style. So I do think that Southgate will be concerned by that. But there has to be a, almost a tipping point where you think, well, OK, the distribution might not be as good as Pickford's. But Pickford's making so many mistakes in terms of shot stopping that, that Pope gets the nod. I think Henderson is is probably in a similar situation at Sheffield United. Who I think he's had a brilliant campaign. Um but again, they're playing a, a longer style of football and a longer style of passing from the back. So, Do, do you think it's fair that, Andy? Uh, you watch him closer than most, I'm sure, because of this exact discussion, because distribution is always the word brought up in the case against Nick Pope. You must watch this pretty closely. Do, do you think it's a fair thing to, to bring up, a fair thing to point out? I think that the distribution is is sort of the issue when it comes to the, the debate because, as, as Michael sort of said, a shot stopper, he's excellent. Command of his area, he's, he's superb. Um, he just comes and gets everything, basically, and relieves so much pressure. Um, but it is, it is that kicking. and I mean, he, when he played for England earlier this season, he showed he, he could do it. But it is that repetitiveness of 
you know, and consistency of doing it. Pickford's shown that over the years. Pope's not really had the opportunity to, and that's that's Burnley's style. There's nothing wrong with with the way Burnley, you know, choose to use their their goal kicks, and and he does go along. That there's also that you know, that, and it comes up that sort of his passing accuracy is is very low. It probably I think it might be one of of the worst in the league. It's actually second lowest. Is it? Henderson yeah. is the one who's lowest. Yeah. <laughs> so so there's there's your talk really in in terms of. Then it's a comparison of who's the better goalkeeper between those two. And for me, watching Pope week in, week out, he, he, there's no sort of weaknesses to his game. Um, and, and he seems to be getting better and better as the season's going on. So if he has had little mistakes during the season, a couple of goals conceded through his legs, or you know if he's just got a position a little bit wrong, they're coming out of his game. And against Newcastle, he was, he was very, very good. He didn't have many difficult saves to make, but they were all... There was a few shots through bodies and legs where a keeper might just take their eye off it or palm it out and, and someone can finish it off. But he was very calm and, and that that's something he, he exudes. He is that calm, confident goalkeeper and he's coming into that, that role after with Tom Heaton leaving. Um, that sort of needed to be to be overtaken. I really like the idea that between now and the end of the season, he might choose to go a bit rogue in order to show Southgate that he can indeed play it short out the back. The the odd chipped ball out to a fullback, or maybe just surprising Ben Mee with a with a quick short pass or a one-two. Uh, Andy, from star individuals in this Burnley side to a partnership that you've written about recently, Ben Mee and James. Tarkovsky, a central defensive partnership, absolutely thriving this season and and keeping out any potential, you know, heirs to the throne. Gibson, for example, is just simply can't get a look in. Yeah, the, the Tottenham game made it 53 consecutive appearances um, for them together. A little bit towards the start, it was a back three as Burnley tried to experiment sort of around Christmas time last year with trying to find a way to win. Um, but they've gone back to Tarkovsky and me and, and they've just been superb and again they, they, they go under the radar a little bit in terms of the, the praise that they probably should get but I, I, in that piece I, I sort of spoke about the, the elegance of how to clear the football um, which is it, it's quite un, you, you can't really appreciate it until you see it but it's it's odd how just effortlessly they seem to get so much power on the ball to just smack it away there's no backlift on the leg the ball just hits it and flies, um, but it's their positioning and and the communication and everything just sort of works. And if one makes a mistake, the other's usually around on the cover, making a you know a, a putting the body on the line to block a ball. Um, and and they just work really really well together. And you can see that partnership continues to develop. And um, they've both made their way into the Burnley team in different ways. Both have sort of had to bide the time. Ben me played at left back. Um, eventually moved into the centre. Tarkovsky was behind Michael Keane, but the the relationship they've built is is superb. And, and as you say, it's it's difficult to to see how sort of that partnership gets broken up unless it's suspension or, or injury. Any times you've watched uh, Burnley this season, Michael, and their performances or or any parts of their performances has, has stood out to you as interesting? Yeah, a couple of games stand out. One was towards the start of the season was a two 0 win over Norwich, and I thought that was an interesting game because. You know, Norwich are at bottom of the league as we're, we're speaking now, but they do try and play technical football. And I think that was a good example of how, you know, against a, a slightly lesser side trying to play good football, Burnley just so good at imposing themselves on the game through pressing. Pressed really well in the first 15, 20 minutes. I think we're 2-0 up after about 15 minutes. Put the game to bed without any problems. And then a couple of weeks later, or maybe a month later, there was a game against West Ham. 
And this was when West Ham had Roberto in goal, obviously not the most convincing. And I think most sides would have put him under pressure, but Burnley just went for him more than I think any other side in the Premier League would be able to. Uh, two goals from set pieces. The second one, Roberto really managed to punch it into his own net. So it showed that, you know, I think there's a versatility and a flexibility to the way that Daesh wants to play. Neither of those games, I think the tactics were overwhelmingly sophisticated or even particularly, you know, surprise tactics. But they were logical and the players carried them out really well. This athletic podcast is brought to you in association with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that takes the hard work out of dressing well. To get started, go to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic. Once you're there, you fill in a style quiz. And that was quite the experience, I must say. You have to tell them all about your personal style, your budget, size and shape and your clothing needs and wants. At that stage, a personal stylist will then send you five items of clothing, each handpicked especially for you from a selection of over 100 brands, which include established names and up-and-coming designers. I'm actually wearing a T-shirt that I got from my own Stitch Fix delivery while recording this podcast. So if I sound more comfortable than usual, you'll understand why. You try everything that they send you on at home, have a look at other items in your wardrobe, what styles fit with that, and you pay for what you like and send back the rest. So it's a, it's a hell of a thing. For your stylist's time, you pay a charge of just £10, which is deducted from the cost of anything you decide to buy. And the key is that you try before you buy. Delivery and returns are free both ways, and you don't need a subscription to sign up. So really worth a go if dressing well is hard work for you, as it is for me. Get started with... Stitch Fix today and support this podcast by going to stitchfix.co.uk forward slash athletic right now. That's S-T-I-T-C-H-F-I-X.co.uk forward slash athletic. There are a team, Andy, who don't get as many games live on TV as others in the Premier League. And quite often when they are on TV, it's against the so-called big six or, or a top 10 team. It's quite interesting to know, given that that's when the majority of fans will see them most of the time when they're playing against those supposed top teams. And I say supposed because I'm just, I'm, I'm railing against the phrase big six at the moment. I'm looking at the league table and I'm thinking to myself, we can't call this a big six. But I digress. They're approached in how they play against teams in the bottom half. I mean, Burnley, a, a mid-table team, to all intents and purposes right now. So put aside the, the big games where they might need to sit in and, and do things a little bit differently. How do they approach games where they might be the favourites to win the game? In a, in a different way, but it also depends on the team they're facing. So the Norwich example is, is, is perfect in a way because Norwich tried to replicate how a big six side would sort of try and come and play so they can force the game onto it in a different way. But there's then also how they use the ball. So usually you'll see you know the fullbacks more advanced if they can the second balls again is is the key to everything um and i will always keep going back to this that they have to win those second balls but then that's when you can get creative um and it depends on who's who's up front uh, that that plays a big part because you'll always have McNeil on the left and he will always be you know the guy who you sort of not not give the ball to to make stuff happen but he will be your you know, your, your prime sort of 
where does he can we look to get him on the ball? How's it worked in recent weeks when Vidra has played? Quite clearly in a different mould to, well, certainly to Barnes and Wood, but even Rodriguez, who has a lot of technical quality, but also has good size. Yeah, well, Rod- Rodriguez is, is sort of the, the perfect blend, if you like, in terms of he can get physical with a with a centred half or a full-back if necessary, but also he's got, you know, he's, he's very, very intelligent as a footballer, so he will pick up the pockets of space, get on, get on the half turn, Look to bring the the wide players into play. Look to link uh, with his with his fellow forward. He, he's just he's just a very very clever player, and he, he creates problems because he picks up areas where he he sort of knows where the ball's going to go or the pass is going to come into him. So he picks up the area where he knows he's got the time to turn. Vidja was interesting actually because he is well completely different to the other three. I don't think there's any you can just sort of tell by looking at him that he's a completely different player. <laughs> um, it, to be quite honest, when he first came on against Southampton, he didn't really get involved and he'd struggled off the bench. Against Southampton in the first half after he came on for Wood, he was, he was sort of still trying to find his way into the game and barely sort of lost any sort of threat. But as soon as he, he just he scored that goal, um, which was just unbelievable and completely unexpected, but an absolutely superb bit of skill and, and finish, the confidence just returned. And it helped that Southampton had to then force the game and play a high line because he could then use his pace. I think he got through on goal one more time and he sort of took the shot a bit too quickly, almost like, oh my God, I'm in again type thing. Um, but then against Bournemouth, it was very much the same. Um, he was on the shoulder, he could use his pace. Bournemouth played a high line, which was a little bit odd considering that was the threat and he didn't quite adjust it. You see the goal that he scores... I mean, defensively, it's it's not great mm. to be quite honest. It's there's too much space for him to to run into, and and McNeil finds him with a, a nice little ball, and he does the rest. So he he brings that type, that side of, of things, and it's not to suggest that Burnley, you know, because Chris Wood will run the channels, Rodriguez will run the channels, Barnes will will, but not as much necessarily because he doesn't have that that pace. Mm. Um, but it was a different, and it was more direct in terms of he would go towards got instead of running wide as well that was the other side that he brought to it a little bit so it shows the, the versatility that Burnley have got and, and sort of the depth of, of having four strikers to, to choose from and when Barnes comes back from his injury which there's still no sort of set date it's difficult to see where he gets back in mm. the team which is a, the perfect sort of problem any manager wants They're very settled in, in, in midfield Michael with Ashley Westwood and Jack Cork two midfield players who don't get talked about very much but who clearly for Sean Dyche and in this system are exactly what he's after. Yeah, I've always really liked Cork. I liked him at Southampton a lot. I was surprised when they let him go, but Burnley used him very well. I think he's very calm and composed in possession. You know, he's not really looking to play too many through balls or, or ambitious passes, but just spreads the play nicely. Westwood, I guess, a similar player, maybe a little bit deeper, a decent ball winner, and of course, very good at... Uh, you know, set pieces and longer passes from those situations. So, yeah, they have a, a nice relationship and um, and they don't, they don't get bypassed too much. You know, it's very rarely you find teams running in behind them or passing through them. I think without the ball, they're not, you know, they're, they're yeah, they're just not uh, penetrated with passes between them very often. I think it's it's quite interesting because you say that and it, it is, it's, it's always sort of, a, it seems to be an in-game adjustment because in the first 10 minutes of a game, Opposition would usually sort of have that number 10 who sort of sits in between 
the defence and, and the midfield. And he might pick it up the first couple of times. I remember United away, um, Pereira was just basically sat in there, he didn't move. And he picked it up a couple of times, got on the turn, and United sort of were able to, to break after Burnley had tried to press them. But then very quickly that stops. And it's 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 a very it's it's difficult to explain exactly what it is, but they always make a slight tweak to stop that from happening. Whether it's the service in, so they you know they'll press more on on the ball player, and and then the player eventually will move out the out, out of that area, so that option is not not necessarily on. And they are, as you say, extremely good ball winners and, and very very intelligent in their movements, especially when they press. One will go, the other will do will shuttle across to the the midfielders, um, and and then press again. And they'll always sort of cover each other whenever needed. And you have Jeff Hendrick on the right who doesn't necessarily bring the attacking quality, which is a bit harsh. But you know he's not going to get the ball and go the byline, or very rarely take someone on. But he, one of his big roles is to fill in and, and sit in and be narrow and help those those two in the middle to to help prevent those balls coming through. Yeah, a big part of of that Burnley team, those two and Westwood's. Some of his set-piece delivery has been absolutely fantastic this season as well. He seems to be able to put it right on top of the keeper. And of course, given some of the size that that Burnley have, that can be pretty dangerous. A great record from set-pieces, of course. I think they've only conceded two goals from set-pieces in the league, which is the uh, well, it's a phenomenal record and it's the best in the Premier League. A, a more general question, topic, Michael, to, to finish. I think hopefully we've explained... Sean Dyche's Burnley tactically, the different ways that they can approach the game, the, the strengths and the occasional uh, weakness as well. With a manager like Sean Dyche and as well Eddie Howe at Bournemouth, it's, it's often acknowledged what fantastic jobs they've done with their clubs, with Burnley and Bournemouth. But with the next step, there seems to be a notion that jobs with any so-called larger teams or let's say perennial top half teams uh, are somehow a step too far can you see why that is said or could you see why that would be actually almost quite offensive for those managers to hear I mean I can see both I can see why it's said and I can see why Dyche would object to it my reading the situation is I'm not saying that if Dyche went to let's say Arsenal that he couldn't adjust and couldn't play a more open style of football but if I was in charge of making the decision at Arsenal I'm not sure I'd take that risk I'd go for a manager who you know, maybe elsewhere, even Arteta, who hasn't experience of, of being a manager, has been in an environment where he's been coaching players to play that way. So I think that's always the difficulty for them. Um, you know, the, the jobs that these kind of managers might take, talking Everton, talking Southampton, they've come up a couple of times in recent years and they haven't gone for those managers. So you do really wonder what the next step is for someone like Dyche. Something that I think he's spoken about every now and again. What, what's your take on it, Andy? Michael Sorsen hits the nail on the head. It's that you are, in effect, taking the risk because you, Dyche has never played a different style in the Premier League. I interviewed Stephen DeFort recently and he said, you know, Dyche isn't against playing lovely football. Um, he, he, he would love to play like Manchester City, but the fact is he doesn't have the players because of finances, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, to be able to do that. And to be quite, mainly when they get on the ball in, in good areas after the press, they do play good football. You know, they, it's good link up between the front two and the midfield and, and, and the wide players, especially the full-backs. I mean, the, the left-hand side, as we as we spoke, their link up is, is telepathic almost. One knows where the other's going to be all the time. So it, it's, it's difficult because you will never know until he's given the chance. But at the same time, 
will he be ever given the chance? It's difficult to see it happening, uh, especially with the way sort of the game's going. And, and as you say, like the likes of Arteta coming in, who has not necessarily managed before, but has been in those environments. If you go on Twitter, any away fan or any, any fan who's just played Burnley, if you want to laugh on a Saturday night, go on Twitter and just see what they're putting about Burnley because it's never nice. It's it's always sort of, I hope they get relegated. What is this? This isn't football, etc., etc. which is very unfair, but it's it's quite amusing in a way. But it is that risk of will fans turn against it quickly because it'll take time to sort of implement the way Daesh wants to do it. And to finish, Michael, another tricky one. Uh, is there, and I'm not just talking about Sean Dyche's Burnley, but actually maybe taking the system, what we've spoken about, direct play. Do you think there is a ceiling on a team that plays in this style? I mean, Dyche's Burnley have finished uh, 16th and 15th, and in between that, they finished 7th. They, they reached the Europa League this season, looking like a, a very solid mid-table finish. Do you think this style has uh, a ceiling, so to speak? To a certain extent, I think the issue really becomes in terms of the actual quality of players. I mean, I, I think you you will struggle to get really top-class players that decide football matches uh, that want to sign for a side that plays that way. I think Burnley have, have probably got as good a player as they will get in Dwight McNeil, who they've developed themselves, and they're not going to do that every two years. Fascinating. Well, I think we have covered Burnley in good depth, hopefully dispelled a few narratives. And thank you so much to... Andy Jones, who covers Burnley for The Athletic, for providing us with so much expert insight. Thanks, Andy. No problem. And Michael, thank you as ever. We'll be back again next week with a fresh new episode of the Zonal Marking podcast, a new topic, a new narrative to dispel, perhaps. Uh, As for this week, there's so much going on on The Athletic site, so much good sports writing, football, of course, from our stable of football writers, but US sports as well, if you're into that sort of thing. Tons of podcasts, many of which have been released over the last few months or launched over the last few months. All of the Athletic podcasts are available for free on any podcast platform, but they're available ad-free on the Athletic site. And if you decide that's enough for you, you can subscribe to The Athletic today by heading to theathletic.co.uk forward slash zonal marking. That is the name of the pod, all one word, zonal marking. That will get you 40% off your annual subscription going forward. So give that a go. Make sure you're subscribed to this pod so you don't miss an episode. Join us next week on the Zonal Marking Podcast. 